production. Hello, A Life of Greatness listeners. I wanted to let you know about my private Facebook group called Live Your Life Greatly. It's a space for our community of like-minded people to give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. Search Live Your Life Greatly in Facebook groups. You can also join me on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg for daily inspiration, videos and behind-the-scenes footage. Search Sarah Grimberg on Instagram. Ragu Marcus has been involved in music and transformational media since the early 1970s and is currently the Executive Director of the Love Serve Remember Foundation in honour of the great spiritual teacher Ramdas. He has spent the last 51 years on a journey of love and learning, spending a lot of time with the great guru Neem Karoli Baba, also known as Maharaji. This conversation traverses many realms, the love he had for his friend and teacher Ramdas, the importance of faith and living a life of authenticity and meaning. Feed everyone, love everyone, tell the truth, remember God. If you can follow that in any way whatsoever, even if it's just moments a day, that's a great life. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Ragu Marcus is a man with many tales who has experienced the richness and pain of life. This powerful exchange is filled with wisdom and talks to the ways Ragu and I approach life, faith and the universe. My hope is that this conversation will renew and restore your inner and outer worlds and bring healing and love to all those who need it. Ragu Marcus, thank you for joining us today. You have had such an interesting life, but I'd love to hear a bit about your upbringing Well, great to be here. My upbringing was in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. It was there that I met Ramdas, and that was the big, huge marker in my life, right? And I met him uh, because I was working at a radio, radio, where you are right now, That I was doing that a long time ago, a really powerful rock and roll station, and, and they called to say, hey, can you tell everyone that Ramdas is giving a lecture at McGill University in a couple of nights? And I'm going, like, who's Ramdas? They say, oh, well, you know, Richard Alpert, Tim Leary. I went, oh, yeah, of course, I love them. We were all doing acid in the, in the day. And I said, but you must have a tape or something, so please send it over so I know what you're talking about. I'm not just going to promote something I don't know anything about. So they sent something that they had done a couple of months previously of Ramdas. Ramdas had all his lectures taped. Must have been his idea, but now we have a huge library, uh, like terabytes worth of material. I turned that particular talk on, and it was like his story of him evolving from... Harvard lecturer and therapist and psychedelic pioneer all the way to India and beyond. 
And uh, the way that he just described everything, the kind of honesty he had and the the way I felt, wow, it's okay, all that bullshit in my mind, I didn't have to run away from it, you know, that just was a huge game changer for me. And I believed, I could feel from his tone and his vibration that he was uh, totally telling the truth about his experiences. And so I just, I put, I actually, I put it on, I put it on the radio. We're talking about playing Hendrix and Van Morrison and all, right, and jazz. And I put it on, and the switchboard lit up. People went crazy because they had never heard anything like this before. I jumped out. Where is he? I got to meet this guy. And I ran out, and there I was. Suddenly, he opened the door. He was in a just staying with some friends at friend's house, at a duplex in Montreal. He stopped. No Richard Alpert, no Ram Dass. He was just like, what can I do for you? He didn't say anything, just with his eyes. What is it that I can do for you? There was no more me-me in that moment. And I had never had that kind of trust. Maybe my mother, you know, when I was a child. It was a huge moment because it, it led me, because of that trust, I followed him to India a year later or something, mm-hmm. 10 months later. And that was the complete demarcation, as I said before, of my life. And I was a miserable SOB kid before that. And uh, I did, uh, this is my famous story, because music was always my thing, something that supported me, and to this day. And uh, I happened to get lucky, and uh, as a teenager, saw John Coltrane play in a club in Montreal. And he played one song, and I went out, and I had my first quote-unquote transcendental kind of an experience that led me to go there must be something else because I have experienced it like all of us experience some ineffable kind of thing and I ended up in India uh, with uh, Neem Karoli Baba when Ramdas went back his guru became mine and that was uh, obviously life-changing I want to ask you when you were young did you grow up following a certain religion or spirituality, a big part of your childhood? I grew up Jewish in Montreal, as I said, and uh, yeah, it was more conservative. Actually, my formative years in school, parochial school, were half in English and half in Hebrew. Oh, wow. I'm not kidding. How would you like to learn geography in Hebrew? Unfortunately, my mentors, mentors, teachers, uh, were people who had come from the camps in uh, oh, really? in Germany yeah. and Hungary and uh, yeah and had numbers you know yeah. on their yeah. tattooed onto their forearms so it it was uh, the transmission wasn't pretty let's put it that way and so yeah i had a very tough time at, at that part of my life uh, and i I ended up just really rebelling about all of that. And then when I had that experience, I started looking to the East. Yeah. It's so interesting because I feel that sometimes, in some cases, when anything is forced upon us, so like religion, Hmm. we tend to push back on that because it hasn't been a choice of ours. I went to a completely non-denominational school, so it was kind of Christian Anglican. And we didn't have any religion or anything like that. But I Mm. yearned inside of me that I wanted more. And 
I ended up finding a Kabbalistic rabbi in Melbourne, Australia and asking him if we could do lessons together because you, there's a point in your life where you you realise you have choice, which sometimes when you're young, you just kind of follow what your parents say and what school says. Yeah, as your perspective changes, particularly obviously getting on a, realising there is a path yeah. to being free of me, me land. The movie of me, you wake up in the morning and you're the director, you're the producer, you're the writer, the protagonist, the villain. You're everything 24-7. Self-me focus. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's a miserable kind of a life. Mm. And for some people that are completely, utterly ignorant of uh, any kind of compassion for another human being or even empathy, uh, that's a whole other category. But ultimately, one cannot... You know, I was really unhappy and looking, there must be something beyond the senses and my thinking mind and all. And uh, so realizing that there is a path and uh, then once you're on it, the perspective of everything completely changes, including who you're hanging out with. Because yeah. you want to hang out with people who have the same idea about I, I, there is something. Let's and even let's collectively get with it in a community of some yeah. sort. We call satsang or sangha in Buddhism. I'd love to know about India because that just seemed like such a wonderful time. And I've I've heard stories from Krishna Das and Sharon Salzberg, but I, mm. I always love to hear the stories firsthand from the different people that experienced that. Yeah. So you you obviously went to India. You met Maharaji. Can you tell us a bit about those times? Yeah, when I went there, you know, Ramda, I was really turned on and trusted Ramdas, obviously, and that's how I got there. And when I got there, he couldn't find Maharaji, so he told me just hang out and then write to me in a month, and we'll see what happens. And anyhow, finally, I did. Um, and <laughs> just going back to that moment where he he gave me a letter i finally met up with him in mumbai yeah and he gave me a letter addressed to somebody in in nainital you know way up in the himalayas uh, uh, tourist town and beyond there was maharaji's ashram i didn't know any of this he said just go talk to so and so at the evelyn hotel and off i went and um the only real exchange we had, aside from me getting that letter, was that it was at uh, Swami Muktananda. He looked like a jazz musician. Yeah. He was so hip looking. He was beyond any guru. He was like, he looked it. And he was very powerful at the same time. So Ramdas spent time with him. Maharaji used to joke with him about it all the time. And I met up with Ramdas there in India in uh, probably the end of. Well, I don't want to talk about dating, 70, 71. When I, we were in our early 20s. He was 40 or whatever. He yeah. was older than us. Anyhow, when I first met Swami Muktananda, I didn't know nothing from India. And everybody is, I mean, very little, the protocol around being around saints and all that. <laughs> and so I go up there and everyone's bowing down and touching his feet. I'm like, what? I don't want to do that. And he came, I had to, because it was otherwise going to be an embarrassing situation, I thought. 
And and it was just like, why am I doing this? So Ramdas came the next day, and I said, "What is this thing with the touching feet?" And he said, "This is just God inside you honoring God outside you. And if you have a problem with it, it's just the ego's good stuff to work with." You know, Ramdas yeah. was always about that, right? So I went back the next day, same thing. Like, <laughs> just it was so off the wall for me coming from the culture that I came from to to do that. And uh, and my mind was completely engaged with it the whole time. Anyhow, next thing I know, I did get up to the Himalaya. And uh, actually, uh, that's where I hooked up with Krishnadas and others. And Ramdas wasn't there yet. And we went off to see Neem Karoli Baba the next day. And uh, as soon as I saw him, you know, I like I'm looking at you right now. I can feel the same thing. And and one of those first thoughts was, oh shit, that's what Ram Dass was all about. I knew that this was just coming through. That thing that I liked, whatever, you know, I was feeling, it was it was coming through him. It wasn't him. And then the next thing was, shit, I've known you for you know, you just have this feeling yeah. of knowing forever and ever, beyond the physicality. I mean, it was instant. And then I sat down, and uh, he, sitting next to me, was a Canadian woman, young woman, who was the girlfriend of one of the DJs I hired at the radio station, oh, wow. and I used to see her all the time. Suddenly, there she is in India with one of the other guys who I had not met before, who came, who was going to, who had come because of Ramdas, and I'm like. Before we went, I thought, how did you get here? You didn't tell me you were coming in. It was that kind of wild yeah. thing. So we sit down, sitting the two of us next to you. The first thing Maharaji does, are you friends from Canada? Is the first thing he says. And I'm going, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm. it's dumbfounding. And then he proceeded to just um, engage with us in a way that was so profoundly otherworldly. I've never been engaged that way. I, I, I had no reference point. Thank God, to be honest. Thank God I had done acid. Uh, and, it's, I don't, and I'm saying this, it's not necessary to have, uh, you know, to do, but in this particular case, this being was so, there was no polarity anymore. Mm. There was just us. There wasn't me and him. He was just, and I was just going, okay, I can just be in this thing, really? And just let go completely like you're in warm water and you're just gone. And I had never had this experience before, obviously, and was so profoundly life-changing in that moment. From the moment I met Ramdas to this moment, that was kind of the beginning of the end. I, I even knew, I thought, okay, I just got to run off whatever karma I have in this in this lifetime and just relax a little bit. Nim Karoli Baba was not of this world, but he was in this world. He was that, in a body. He yeah, was certainly exactly. in a body he was still and had played the experience had that we're having. I wonder, I've heard the same thing when I've talked to people that met the Lubavitcher Rebbe who was in, in the States that died many years ago. They say the same thing. They say that when they're in the presence of him, it was almost like being in the presence of a prophet. Time ceased. And it was this feeling of unconditional mm. love. And I wonder mm. from your experience, why do you think there are these certain people that seem to exude that? And do you think that we can all exude that? Yeah, I think there are very few humans that 
that trod the planet at any one time, at least Gurdjieff said that, um, that, can, that even can be receptive to this kind of consciousness. Uh, and then there's very, very few that actually embody it, but they embody it for a, a reason that's beyond rationality. I mean, in this particular case, Neem Karoli Bob, the people that came from the West and saw him, and he did not teach, he did not write books, he did not give lectures, nothing. He just hung out. In fact, he seemed just, he was just like delighted to be hanging out with these crazy young Westerners, right, who like spent a lot of time tracking him down and following him and, you know, all of that. So um, I, the reasons why are impossible, but the reality that there are many people came out of this tradition, Ramdas being, of course, the the uh, icon uh, and exemplifying what it is that was the real experience that was had. Now, many people have this experience with Neem Karoli Baba after 1973 when he dropped that body. Many there's a book coming out that that uh, the foundation is putting out called Whisper in the Heart, and it's people's stories that are absolutely the same as our stories of seeing him physically and interacting with him. They're interacting with him. There's not necessary. He said it is not necessary for a uh, an enlightened being to have a body, wow. a guru. A tr- the, the true guru does not need a body. Now, there's so many of, you know, people... Some people expressing themselves as that, whether it's true or not, nobody, you know, that's not our business really because the ones that are pure and beyond um, polarity, I call it, they absolutely find you. You don't have to do nothing except hopefully you've done enough work to develop the kind of intuitive trust that leads us to what it is we should be doing and who we should be hanging out with, including going back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, friends, yeah. including people we hang out with that we gravitate towards. You know, you have to have the right intuition uh, around who who you should be hanging out with and who is who can you help and they help you to grow. I mean, that's that's a big thing of what satsang is. What were the things that you? learnt or that stayed with you from your time with Nim Karoli Baba? I mean, the constant, constant repetition. Maharaji constantly only said one, basically, love, serve, remember. Mm-hmm. That's what the instruction was. So the reality of, like, we'd be sitting watching him. We, we'd sit across the courtyard. He'd just say, just sit over there. And so people would come and communicate with him and they every one of them was given food that was a huge thing food and he'd feed every one of every person that came in and out of that ashram and everybody was treated the same and everybody uh many indians the idea if you have a guru in india you ask for what you need like you need a new job you know the daughter needs a marriage uh, someone's sick, this is what they do. I was once told, actually, by one of the close devotees when I first got there, actually, many people come here and they ask him for all worldly help, and he gives it to them. The one thing he doesn't give so easily is, is spiritual 
gems. <laughs> that is a whole other. And we came there not for anything but the spiritual. And so uh, what we got, you know, Ramdas. Uh, had we, we could have done this a few years ago with Ramdas, he would have said, when I asked for Maharaji, how, you know, what about, can you give me samadhi? Can you give me, uh, you know, complete in, uh, absorption in trance-like thing, which is why all the Buddhists are meditating so hard? He didn't say that, but that's what he was thinking. And Maharaji said, yeah, feed people. And Ramdas says, "Okay, that's BS. Come on. I mean, I have all. I need a really esoteric practice that I can dive into, and and it'll be like you know, I'll make it there because I know the practice is you know this. And so he said, "Well, what about um, raising Kundalini?" He said, and Maharaji said, "Love everyone and tell the truth." Mm. So this this is the direct simplicity of the reality of who we as humans uh, came into this plane of consciousness is, to me, nothing more than what can we do for, for our fellow humans. Mm. And to get there, you, it, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of practice. So that's what we took from him. It's not easy to love everyone and always tell the truth either, even if you Say are a good person. Say the very least. It's, it's, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> Uh, there is an aspiration and an intention to grow yeah. so that we can help people. Just that simple level. Be kinder, as I said earlier. Yeah. A little more compassionate. So that there is that. Once you have an aspiration and inspiration to do, to be in that space with people, then it all does make sense. And you're not going to just be there. You know, we've been doing this for decades. You know, yeah. Krishnas and I, Ramda. You know, so it's. Uh, uh, it's nothing that just snap your finger and you're there. And I still, I mean, even at this stage, see the um, through the movie of me, mindfulness of the movie of me, all that self-interest. I still see it. Mm. Very, I still see it. I see it more clearly now than I ever did before, and it that's painful. And then it leads me to okay, got to be a little compassionate about being human. You know, self-compassion, which is why that's tremendously important yes. as well. Tell me, Maharaji, when he spoke about psychedelics, said you go into the room in which Christ and Buddha exist, but you only stay for a few minutes. Can you explain yeah. that to us? You come down, right? So you, you have that ineffable experience with the divine presence, however you want to term that, at some point in the trip, you know, people have all sorts, it depends what the ethnogen is, and Ram Dass's whole thing around set, and setting is important, uh, everybody, so respect is, is really important to get what you need from it, but you, you definitely come down, and when you come down, you're back into, you know, me and you, Okay, how do I defend myself now? What's the situation? You know, back into what we norm our habitual patterns and neurotic tendencies. Yeah, you come down, and uh, the other thing about it, he said, was it's good for beginners, but ultimately, love everyone and feed them. Yeah, that'll get you high. 
He didn't say it like that at all. But the the reality is that, and then there is a way in which, uh, just like anything else, psychedelics are can have a habitual pattern to them, right? They there's an experience that one has on them that gets us beyond our limited self, and that's very addictive. And many people, their whole lives are around doing the ceremony, right? Ayahuasca, whatever. Yeah. So that that may be also what he was referring yeah. to, and what Ramdas, who took more psychedelics than anyone, more than Leary. Okay, really, I mean, he used to tell us, yeah, more than Leary. And then he went to India because he he kept coming down. Yeah. It can't be that, you know, where's somebody who didn't come down anymore? And that's why he found Maharaji. Krishna Das talked to us about how hard it was when Maharaji passed away. That was very hard for him. And I want to know how you found that. Well, we all felt that way. Mm. Everybody went through kind of different scenarios around it. I have one friend who wouldn't even th- talk to anybody about it for like 15 years wow. about his experiences in, in India with him. Yeah, no, everybody went through it. I mean, lose, first we were fooling ourselves. You lose, oh, now guru, no body, no problem. He's everywhere. And we, you know, that was intellectual. We weren't experiencing that. So it took many years to integrate all of that, many, many years for most of us. And uh, it ultimately happened, though. We got through it. I mean, that was too radical, having a physical body in front of you that was this thing, you know. Mm. To lose that is, like, not fun. I wonder, do you think that gurus exist like they used to? Whoever of these beings, they, they don't necessarily come into public either. They mm-hmm. live up in remote areas and you may never encounter them or not many people or few people would encounter them. Um, now, when uh, just think of it. When we knew Neem Karoli Baba, there was a few hundred Westerners that may have seen him. And you just think about that maybe it's a little more, but not much. And you think of now the massive followings that quote-unquote gurus have. So as far as the, the, the ones that um, are in reality not living in time and space, although there is a body, the, these are called you know, abadutes or these are beings that are much more rare, shall we say, in my knowledge, which is limited. But we did see, other, like Ananda Maima was an incredible woman saint that we used to spend time with at that same time in India. So, But there's Tibetans, incredible Tibetans uh, around now that whether they are completely gone beyond or anything who, you know, wouldn't know, but they're incredible beings to hang out with. Obviously, just start with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Do you have a teacher now, or do you do all the teaching? 
Well, I definitely take teachings from where I used to, I mean, until the Dalai Lama stopped coming the last few years to America, I would go to see him every time he came to America somewhere, and he'd be giving teachings for three, four, five a week, days or something. And other, I've got luck, because of the podcast, I've been able to interface with some of them, particularly one who I really enjoy is Mingjur Rinpoche. He's great. So there are incredible beings. One of my favorite all-time movies is Going Home. It's based on Ram Dass in the last few years of his life. It's the most beautiful for anyone that wants to watch it. It's on Netflix. I literally think I've watched it about 30 times. And it only goes for 20 or so minutes. It's, it's just so beautifully shot. It's so enjoyable. I think I nearly cry every time I watch it as well. It's just oh. so great. But one thing that made me want to know more about Hanuman is when in the movie, Ramdas says, when I don't know who I am, I serve you. When I know who I am, I am you. Can you explain that to us? That's Hanuman. Talking to Ram, yeah. And it's, it kind of explains the relationship of, uh, in bhakti yoga, of devotion, between the, the entity that you are beseeching to merge with and while that's happening, that's you know that's the first part of that statement. You know, um, the second is the actual when the merge happens. I am you, mm. and that ultimately that is inside of every one of us. So this is just the the quintessential uh, definition of bhakti yoga in that statement. Because that's what we do. We're using an object, and then once that uh, once there's a merging of the two entities, then you become that which you are worshiping. Can you tell us a bit about your friendship with Ramdas and how when you got back from India and what it was like? Well, we actually started working on different uh, projects very early on. Uh, in fact, the one of the first, well, we did a, a number of things, but one of them in the first years was called Love, Serve, Remember. It was a six a record set, uh, LPs, uh, with beautiful uh, insert in it with all kinds of different graphics and so on. It was quite something. It's, it's available still at ramdas.org slash shop. You can find it as a digital download. Uh, and uh, so we did these kinds of things. We, I mean, because my whole thing has been as a producer in this life, producing things either from music or um, and now it's books, films, whatever. Uh, so I worked with Ramdas in that capacity. Then there was a period when... Uh, we weren't working together. Um, he, we were just on different traject- trajectories in uh, in terms of the uh, kind of work I was doing, basically. And I, uh, but when what we did do together during that time turned out to be really important and really uh, cemented our 
relationship beyond uh, working together on media and stuff like that. And that was this temple I told you, Hanuman Temple. He brought Hanuman to America. They got a statue made that he worked with uh, this our Indian mother, Siddhima, and, and, and his Indian brother, K.K. Shah. And, and the whole idea was it, it, this... this it, I have to, I'll send you an image. You can put it up because it's extraordinary. The expression of compassion is so profound in this Murti, it's called. Uh, it's amazing. So he brought it over, and then uh, around that Murti, uh, a temple sprung up that was just somebody's, um, their equipment room that we converted or whatever, just a little shack that was converted and then the kitchen was added on. And suddenly there was a, a place in America for people to gather around Neem Karoli Baba and Hanuman. And so uh, we were one of the first people who, Ramdas and I and a couple of others, who were on the trust to formulate this thing. So we spent a lot of time doing that in those early days, which supplanted, you know, having to, uh, producing stuff he was doing and so on. Uh, so I remember that as a, as a wonderful time. And then, of course, not that long after, uh, in the mid-90s, he had that stroke. Mm. And, uh, and I remember he was had the stroke and a few months later he was doing rehab and so on. He was in the rehab hospital and I, I hadn't seen him and I was going to see him for the first time in Marin County in California. And I walked in the room. He looked like a ghost. He was completely white and he looked at me and I just, <laughs> I burst out crying and he started crying. It was just one of those moments of, oh my God, how did we get here? So, yeah, I mean, from the moment I saw him the first time to the last time I saw him, where he just completely did the same thing, basically just opened up and was com was completely present with me. Um, yeah, we went through a lot of stuff, but uh, that was always there, always. So I was fortunate. The stroke gave him grace. He says, I don't wish mm. the stroke on anyone, but I, I wish yeah. you the grace. Yeah, the grace is being able to have a perspective to be able to transform your day-to-day -day life. Yeah. And that's what Maharaji gave him. First he thought, oh, he gave me, fierce grace, he gave me the stroke so I could transform. And then Siddhi, our Indian mother, said, no, Maharaji's not giving anybody strokes or anything like that. <laughs> Nature gave you the stroke. Yeah. And really, he, was let, he let go of his uh, body. He was overweight, he had blood pressure problems, all that kind of stuff. She said, but he did give you a way in which to transform the graces, how, you know, you're transforming your life, which he did. And he became what uh, we all say these days, he became what he was talking about before he had the stroke. Mm. It's so incredible. How did you mm. deal with his death? I knew things weren't, uh, he was moving to that point where he was going to leave. And yeah, it was, uh, it was traumatic in that, uh, you know, losing someone like this. But I knew how much pain he was in. And he, the, that he could let go of that, that was more powerful than my own personal 
uh, feelings about losing him. Do you think he's come to you since? Well, actually, I went to his house for the first time. Was not not the first time, but the second time when I went back after the pandemic. We had a retreat in Maui last December, Krishnas and I and others. And I went to his house and I sat in that room. They kept it completely the same. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, I definitely connected with him in that moment. Um, I mean, even more than a dream or two that I've had, that moment was profoundly, I'm just dandy right now. Hmm. It was profoundly that, yeah. I wonder, because he was obviously so close to you, such a friend, and you learned so much from him, but had so many wonderful times together and now you've dedicated so much of your life to keeping his memory alive and his teachings, which is just so unbelievable. How do you move through that grief? There are times when it happens, you know. Uh, it happened to me on Hanuman's birthday. Just happened to look at his picture and go, oh, you know, just something clicks and you feel that thing, uh, you know, heaving you know, in, inside for a moment and but I I just be with it and you know I, I try not to pay too much attention to myself. I have heard you say without our ability to change perspective we are lost. Yeah. And I think understanding that absolutely changed my life. I wonder if you mm. can talk to us a bit about that. Well, it's Ram Dass's wonderful uh, uh, meditative practice, yeah. uh, loving awareness, right? Is is uh, he enunciated it perfectly? Uh, but uh, I mean, every one of us can relate with the fact how we believe our thoughts and the story of who we think we are right now. Yeah, every one of us knows that place. How do we talk to ourselves? Never mind. Imagine if you talk to a friend. Sometimes the way you talk to yourself. <laughs> Yeah, it wouldn't be pretty. So we we all know that that that's uh, a reality, and um, so you, you you just have to uh, look at. I mean, again, this perspective when it's coming from that place that you believe in this bullshit is very difficult to live in any kind of balanced way day to day, right? But if you manage to take a few deep breaths, as Ramdas suggests, into the center of your chest, you know, and just be in a place that's not constantly trying to figure out how to manipulate your world, that is a huge shift of perspective. That perspective allows for you're not sitting there judging yourself and calling yourself names or other people. You're in a much different place of mindfulness, right? Mindfulness is difficult because a lot of people are doing it from their heads, from uh, from their thought forms. That's not mindfulness. Oh, I just spilled some orange juice. Uh, better wipe it up. You know that kind of thing. Um, that's not mindfulness. Mindfulness can only happen from from that deeper place that uh, is connected to the trusting, intuitive place inside. Let's call it that. That's the easiest. You know. Ram does call it soul or 
you know, spiritual heart, but just, just a place that's beneath this turmoil that is going on in our heads, in our emotions. And so that is the kind of perspective that changes everything once you get below that. Yeah, it's A Course in Miracles says that a miracle is a change in perspective and I think that's so true. Yeah. What is your favourite saying or prayer? Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram. And, the, the, uh, and then one beyond, of course, I do Hanuman Chalisa's 40 verses in praise of the monkey god. And it's to remind him who he really is, because he's a monkey, he forgets sometimes. <laughs> and it's meant to remind us of who we really are. Yeah. And uh, it's a powerful uh, prayer that uh, I, no matter what difficulty that I may be in, I always turn to. Mm. And it always just acts like spacious awareness for me. The Buddhist so, <laughs> concept. What is your greatest hope for society today? That we learn how to know ourselves and change our hearts. What is a life of greatness to you? It's just back to what we were given by Maharaji, which is feed everyone, love everyone, tell the truth, remember God. Just if, if you can follow that in any way whatsoever, even if it's just moments a day, that's a great life. Raghu, Marcus, thank you for all the wisdom that you have shared today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you, Sarah. Love being here and meeting you. If you'd like to hear more about the wonderful tales and life of Ramdas, then please check out my other podcast episode with his good friend, Krishna Das. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. One of my favourite spiritual teachers, Marianne Williamson, is coming to Australia to do some live shows. She will teach you to discover how to harness the power of love into a collective force for good and transform yourself and the planet. To purchase tickets, go to maryanne.com forward slash upcoming events. Listener.